Sorry, we're running a little late this morning. We're, uh, we've been experiencing technical difficulty. But I think, praise the Lord, we have got her fixed. So we, did, we didn't have Kara Dunn up there. That's the problem. We didn't, you know, we everything would have been fixed. <laughs> no, no, I would say we got a great team up there. Cassandra's doing a great job, and we got... Uh, we got Eric, uh, Eric Keith up there and and um, Christy Husky up there. And I think Jonas is on the lights. And so we've got a great, we have, we really do have great tech people. We've got great teams right here. I think, would y'all give them a hand for what they do? Yeah. Woo. The monitor? They're really low. Really low stage monitors. Uh, pardon us while we... We really did. I think the first service, I'm not sure we had much sound at all. So we have floor monitors yet? Come on up, come on up. As, as one, uh, what's his name, uh, David Clydesdale is a clinician, he'd say, this, this, is, this is Baptist level. Give me a Pentecostal level, which I think means loud. So, so anyway, because I'm, I'm a Baptist Anyway, all right, let's stand. There ain't no grave going to hold this body down. Let's come to red mic. Check. Oh, there, sorry. Now it's a little too hot. Check, 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 check. Thank you. Good morning. We're going to. All right, thank you all for your patience. Yes. Let's go. Oh, shame is a prison as cruel as a grave. Shame is a robber, and he's come to take my name. Love is my redeemer, lifting me up from the ground. Love is the power where my freedom song is found. There ain't no Gonna hold my body down. Hey, can we start this over? <laughs> That's all right. It's just one of those days. <laughs> and I'm a little bit too much right here in this monitor, Cassandra. Thank you so much for doing all this. It's a little crazy. Check, 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 check. None of my guitar. None of your guitar. He needs my guitar check, in his check, monitor. Check. Still nothing in the Scott Oliver's monitor. There we go. There we go. All right. Anybody else need anything? Can I get you a cup of tea? <laughs> a glass of milk? Cookies? <laughs> Cookies. Don't need All right. Here we go. Let's sing this thing. There ain't no brain. Hold this problem down. And there ain't no sound problems going to hold this problem down. That's right. Take my name. Love is my redeemer. 
seated. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you are here to worship with us this morning. And this has been a special Sunday in two of our three services. We're having baptism. Six people are going to be baptized today at our church. That's incredible. And so we're, we're grateful to be a part of a church where we schedule baptism every, every month. We almost have baptism every month. And so we want to celebrate that. If you're a guest with us, we're so glad that you're here. We'd love to get to know you. One of the ways that we do that is through the guest registration card that's located in front of you. If you could fill one out if you're a first-time guest and then take it to the Welcome Center at the end of the service, there's a box there. You can place it in, and we have a gift for you. Or you can give your card to Dr. Cox. He'll be there and introduce yourself. He'd love to meet you. Um, As we continue to worship, let's take a moment to pray and ask God to meet with us as we meet with him. Pray with me. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that even in the midst of some craziness, Lord, uh, you always win. And no grave can hold you down. And Father, if Jesus was resurrected, that means we will be resurrected and we will rise. Um, So Father, we thank you for that promise. We thank you for this good news. And Lord, we celebrate that this morning together as one body. May you be pleased with our worship together. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us and let's sing together. If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, if you've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lies, 
If you're trying to fill the same old holes inside, well, there's a better life. There's a better life. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, come on, he's a way. chains in the past. He doesn't have something in his monitors. I'm not sure what. He doesn't have my guitar in his monitor. Let's sing. Here we go. Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall but you have never failed me
Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never failed me yet. Oh, you've never failed me. I know the night won't last. Your word will come to pass. My heart will sing your praise again. Jesus, you're still enough. Keep me with
stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. Thanking you for your steadfastness. Thank you for your promises kept. Thank you that you have never, ever failed us. And we know that you never will. So, Lord, we come before you this morning just honoring you with our songs, with our hearts, with our worship. And now, Lord, we pray that you will open our hearts to hear from you, Lord. As Dr. Cox comes and brings your message and opens the Word of God, I pray that it will sink in so deeply that it will change us forever. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Good to see you today. Good to be with you. I got just a couple of uh, words of explanation before I start preaching. Got a little bit of uh, allergy congestion. If I sound funnier than usual, I think that's what it is. Just thought I might let you know in case you think he sounds funnier than he usually sounds. That's probably why that is. Seems like it's a bad pollen year to me. I don't know how it seems to you. The other word of explanation, I intend to chase two rabbits during this sermon. So I'm just telling you that front so that when I start chasing a rabbit, you'll say, well, he planned to chase that rabbit, okay? Today, I want to try to answer a cluster of questions about children and salvation. Questions such as, why don't we baptize infants? Some of you come from other faith traditions, other denominations, and I have new members come to me sometimes who want to join our church, and we welcome them, and they say, what about my little children, my infants, can they be baptized along with me? And I say, no, we don't baptize infants in our church, and they want to know why, and I tell them, that's one of the questions I want to try to answer uh, today. Another of these cluster of questions is, well, when do you become accountable for your sins? Baptists believe that you're to be baptized when you're a believer, when you personally are able to put your faith in Jesus and personally able to confess him with your mouth. So when do you become old enough? When do you become accountable for that? Another question is related to this is, what happens to little children when they die? God forbid, in the death of little children and infants, what happens to them? 
And related to that is what happens to aborted children. The CDC says there are over 600,000 children who are aborted in the United States every year. That's a huge number of people, 600,000 every year by the most conservative number. Uh, If you believe as I believe that those are real people, that they are humans, that they have a a spirit as well as a body, then what happens to those aborted children when they die? So those are sort of a cluster of questions we're going to try to answer today related to children and salvation. And the heart of the issue goes back to what you believe about the connection between Adam's sin and guilt and our sin and guilt. So before we look at scripture, I'm going to spend some time sort of sharing with you the different views and a little bit of church history that will set up, hopefully, whet your appetite to look at the scripture and find the answer. So there are two basic views about the relationship between Adam's sin and ours. You know, Adam and Eve were the first humans and God gave them an opportunity to follow him or rebel against him and they chose to sin And that has had repercussions for us. Well, what are those repercussions? We all agree that one repercussion is that death has come into our world. People die. There wasn't death before that. Adam brought death into our world. But what's the relationship of their sin and ours? So I'll share with you two views. The first view is called the view of the doctrine of original sin. And the doctrine of original sin would say that every person inherits from Adam sin and guilt that in Adam uh, as he sinned the whole human race has been affected and so we're all sinners and we're all guilty there was uh, Augustine was the first theologian in church history to really articulate this about 400 AD and he was debating a monk named Pelagius who said that children are innocent they're not sinners and they're not guilty And Augustine said, no, children are sinful and they are guilty. So if they're guilty, then something has to be done so that they can go to heaven. What would be the solution for their guilt? And what Augustine has taught and what the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church then, this has become their view on original sin, is that baptism is the way you receive the grace of God. They believe in a sacrament of baptism, that it actually does something for you. It accomplishes salvation. And so little children are baptized because little children are guilty and that guilt has to be dealt with. And so you baptize little children because they, from the very beginning, have inherited sin and guilt from Adam. And so the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church was that baptized infants then would go to heaven when they die unbaptized infants would not go to hell but would go to a place not described in the bible but roman catholic taught called limbo so that unbaptized infants would go to limbo then in the 1500s came the protestant reformation Uh, Martin Luther was a Catholic monk who began to read Galatians and Romans and came to the conclusion that salvation was not by a sacrament of baptism, that that thing accomplishes salvation, but that salvation is by the grace of God through faith alone, justification by faith. And so he recovered that biblical emphasis on 
faith is essential to receive salvation. But Martin Luther retained the doctrine of original sin, still part of this first view here, that these children are, have inherited sin and guilt. So now the question is, how do you deal with that? What's the solution? If baptism is not the solution, that it's what saves those infants, that faith is what, how you receive salvation. And so Luther uh, came up with the solution, well, maybe the, the faith of the parents could substitute for the faith of the child until that child can put faith. And so again, infant baptism was retained by many of these Protestant groups because they believed in original sin. And they believed that you had to have faith to be saved. But since that child can't have faith, then the parents would bring him to be baptized. And it is their faith substituting for the faith of the child. And that child is saved. But again, that doesn't give any hope for unbaptized infants and children. Then the second view of in answer to this question about the connection between Adam and us is what I call the Baptist view, and that is that every person inherits from Adam a sinful nature, but not guilt. So we don't believe the teaching of Pelagius that every child uh, is innocent. We believe that, yes, we inherit a sinful nature. We're all sinners by our very core of our being, our nature, but we don't inherit that guilt. And so Baptists began to recover. They were called the radical reformers. So Luther reformed the church, but stopped short of saying that you don't have to baptize infants. And so the radical reformers, which took that even further, said, wait a minute. If justification is by faith alone, as you say, we embrace that, we're indebted to you. But the logical consequence of that is then that, that children don't need to be baptized. And they began to study the scriptures, and Baptists found that there's no evidence in the Bible of either any command to baptize infants or an example of baptizing anyone other than a believer. And so Baptists began to emphasize believers' baptism. And that's why they got the name Baptists. Oh, those baptizers, they keep baptizing people. Even little people have been baptized as infants. Now they were all rebaptized as adults or teenagers because they came to see that we need to be baptized as believers. And that's what we practice. We, we uh, baptize only those who are old enough to confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart. God raised him from the dead. And, and so Baptists, along with Mennonites and brethren, we share commonality there with Mennonites and Church of the Brethren, call these radical reformers. And so the Baptist view of Scripture was that every person does inherit from Adam a sinful nature, but not guilt. And because of this, in England and in Europe, Baptists were persecuted. This was a radical view. doesn't seem radical to you, but the idea you don't baptize your infants, you don't, we're only going to baptize believers, was a radical view called the radical reformers, and Baptists were persecuted. And because of the persecution in England, Baptists came to America, some of them, but they encountered in America the pilgrims and others who had come for religious freedom only wanted religious freedom for themselves, and so they were still persecuted here because those who had come over still embraced that infant baptism, and so Baptists were jailed and fined and um, beaten uh, in colonial America because they didn't baptize their infants, and that was against the law, and uh, so in some of the colonies. And so here's where I'm going to chase the first rabbit. just want you to know. This is why Baptists have been champions of religious liberty. 
because we have been the oppressed and the persecuted minority view in England and even in America. And so Baptists have been champions for the belief that everybody ought to be able to exercise their religion in this country, uh, even if we disagree with it. So now, and, and it came that in 1789, uh, when the Constitution had uh, been written, Baptists were concerned that there was not protection for freedom of religion. And they were reassured, well, President Washington is sure that. And they said, well, President Washington is not going to be here forever. We need no, more than this. And Baptists advocated for a Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments to the Constitution, the first of which guarantees the freedom of religion, came at the impetus of Baptist preachers and lay people in Virginia who said there needs to be some safeguards in that constitution. We've been those champions of liberty. So John Leland was a Baptist preacher and he was going to run for office for the constitutional convention that was going to ratify the constitution and they worked out a deal with James Madison who later became president. Leland said if you'll support our agenda of these 10 Bill of Rights I'll not run so, and we'll throw our support to you. He agreed to that. Madison championed the Bill of Rights. It was Baptists who we are indebted to for the Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments to the Constitution. That's the rabbit I told you I was going to chase there. But it comes from this very issue of why we... So, what I believe that today we need to be people of religious liberty even though now we're not the minority. So now we've got Muslims in our country. And I don't like the teaching of Muslim. I believe it's a false religion. I believe there's some dangers to it. But I believe that we need to win them not by coercion or outlawing them, but by persuasion. Let's show them the gospel and love them and treat them with kindness. So even though we don't agree with that, we've been that persecuted minority. We must today, I believe, be champions of religious liberty, even for those we disagree with, that you have the right to your conscience in America to practice that. We'll try to persuade you that you're wrong. We will evangelize you, but we will not coerce you, and we'll not harass you, and we will not work to outlaw you because we believe you have the freedom to follow the dictates of your conscience. That's a Baptist um, heritage, and it comes from this issue that we're talking about today. Now I'll let that rabbit go. So what is the biblical basis for this view about um, the relationship between Adam's sin and ours? Now that I've sort of given you that overview, let's look at the Bible, see what it says. The first and most important passage is Romans chapter 5 verses 12 through 13. Therefore just as sin entered the world, verse 12 says, through one man. So we agree that sin entered the world through one man and death through sin and we all agree that Death has come into our world through the sin of Adam. Now every human dies. And in this way death came to all people because all sinned. So Augustine wanted to read this and say because all sinned in Adam. But that's not exactly what it says. It says because all sinned. And Baptists would point to that next verse, verse 13. To be sure sin was in the world before the law was given but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Do you get that there? Sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. So you are accountable when you can comprehend the law, that is the Ten Commandments and the other moral law of God revealed in Scripture. So when you're old enough that you can comprehend the law, then you are accountable. 
But when you, there is no law, now the law has been here, but when you personally do not yet understand the law, sin is not held to anyone's account where there is no law. So Baptists do not accept the view of original sin that you inherit sin and guilt. And we don't accept Pelagius' view that children are innocent and without sin. I bet every parent knows that. I bet Pelagius didn't have kids, don't you bet? Every parent knows that. But we believe that you are sinful but not guilty. I'll give you an example from our lives. Cindy and I have grandchildren. And our youngest grandchild is about 18 months old. And he is the most compliant of any of our grandchildren. He's the most docile, the most easily, uh, you know, he just doesn't ever cause a problem. He's just so compliant and, and just the best kid. And he comes, but then he came to our house this last time, just a few weeks ago, and I saw something I'd never seen in him. So he's about 18 months old, and he loves snacks. He would eat snacks all day long. We have a walk-in pantry, and Cindy, for some reason, has the snack, kids' snacks on the bottom shelf, on the first shelf. And he loves to go in there and look at them and pick them up, and then he'll bring it, because he can't open them yet, so he'll bring it to you to open. And so he'll bring goldfish, bag of goldfish or fruit snacks or whatever to you. So just a few weeks ago when he was at our house, 18 months old, he brought this bag of fruit snacks to Cindy, and, and I, I saw this happen, and she said to him, no, you can't have any more fruit snacks. You've had a whole lot of fruit snacks today. And he goes, and just stomps those little feet and just screams. And I thought, wow, I haven't seen that before. That sinful nature is beginning to come out in this compliant, docile little child. And you know that to be true, don't you? We inherit from Adam a sinful nature. It's in every fiber of our being. It is in us from the youngest of age. But what we believe, as this verse says, but for my little grandson, that temper tantrum is not held accountable to him because he's not yet to the point where he is under the law, where he fully comprehends that. So let me show you Romans chapter 14, verse 10. It says, or 14, 12. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. It doesn't say we'll give an account of Adam's sin. It says we'll give an account of ourselves to God. So people ask, where do Baptists get this idea of an age of accountability? I've showed you two verses in a row here where this word account is used and we give an, uh, we don't, we're not accountable till the law comes and we'll each give account of ourselves, not of someone else, but you're going to give an account of that for which you can comprehend and have done uh, to God. Let me show you another passage in Romans that's a key on this issue, and that's Romans 7, beginning at verse 8. In Romans 7, Paul is talking about the, the role of the law. Why did God give us the law? Why, in other words, why is there an Old Testament before a New Testament? Why didn't God just cut to the chase and give us the New Testament and grace and what we just all, why did he start with law and then give us grace? Why is there an Old Testament for a New Testament? Did God mess up? That's sort of what Paul is dealing with in that passage. And Paul is saying, no, the law is good. God obviously knows what he's doing. The law serves several good purposes. And one of them is the law confirms your sin so that you'll feel guilty and that you'll repent. Okay, let's look at verse, verse 8. Romans 7, 8, sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. 
So we believe sin is in little children, but it is dead because apart from the law, um, they're not accountable. And so the purpose, one of the purposes of rules, the reason parents have rules, one of them is not only to modify behavior, but it brings them to see their own sinfulness. It's the part, purpose of the law in God's plan. So look at verse 9. Paul's speaking autobiographically, and he says, Once I was alive apart from the law. When's he talking about there? When he was a little child, before the law had come to him, once I was spiritually alive apart from the law, but... When the commandment came, that is when I became aware of the commandments and I could understand the commandments and I knew right from wrong, when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. That's what I believe happens in the life of every individual, that you're alive apart from the law. You're sinful, but you're not guilty. But then when the commandment comes and there's full realization of those commandments, sin springs to life and you die. Or as Romans verse 13 says, it says in the last part of verse 13, sin becomes utterly sinful. That through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. So when does a child become accountable? When the commandment comes and sin springs to life and they die. Spiritual death. When does that happen? Well, obviously it happens at different ages for different children because they're going to mature at different rates. And so this is something that parents, I think, need to watch for as you're trying to decide, is my child old enough to confess Christ and be baptized? Sometimes we just watch for the information part of it. Do they know the facts of the gospel? Do they know that Jesus died and he rose again and that it is by putting my faith in him that I'm saved? It is important that they know the information, know the facts. But what I'm saying to you also, look at Romans 7, 9. They need to have a sense of conviction. They need to have this sense that sin has sprung to life in my life. There needs to be some awareness of guilt. They need some sense of lostness. And this is the, usually the last part of to fall in place for children, especially children who are raised in church. Because if you've taught your kids at home and you've brought them to Sunday school, they know from a very early age, Jesus is God's son, Jesus died for me, Jesus rose from the dead, I need to believe in Jesus, give my heart to Jesus. They know the facts before they experience the guilt of Romans 7, 9. So it's a tough thing as you decide with your kids, but that's one of the things you want to look for. Have they not only know the information, but is there that conviction of sin that the commandment has really come home to them and they know they're accountable and there is some conviction, sense of lostness, some remorse because that is crucial in their, their spiritual development. And so some children never come to that age of accountability. I have another grandchild who has Down syndrome and I'm not sure that he'll ever come to the age of accountability. Perhaps he will, but I'm not at all sure that he will because I'm not sure in his moral development there's going to be a place where the commandment comes to him, where he fully understands uh, his moral responsibility and his personal rebellion against God. And so there are special needs adults who are adults, who they are sinners, yes, but they're not guilty because 
The commandment has not come to them. Sin has not sprung to life and they have not died. And it's, um, so I want to chase the second rabbit. Told you I'd identify the rabbits here. So you might say, well, if this is true of little children, that they're not aware of the commandments and so they're not accountable, is this also true of people who have never heard the, the Bible, who have never had the scriptures? They don't have the Ten Commandments, and so maybe people in other cultures and other places are not accountable to God because they don't know the law. And the Bible says, this same letter of Romans says, no, that's not the case. You might think that would be a logical extension, but that is not the case because adults, even if they have not heard the gospel and have the Ten Commandments, they have the law written two places. They have the law written in the skies in creation, and they have written in their hearts in conscience. And so they have a law to themselves. God's put his glory in the heavens, and God's put his sense of right and wrong in their conscience. Let me read you, so you'll know I didn't just make this up, read you two places in Romans, same letter, where Paul says that all adults are without excuse because of this witness. First of all, the witness of creation, reading Romans 1, 18 through 20. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, Because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So they're without excuse because of the, they haven't had the Ten Commandments, Maybe they're not as accountable as you and I, but they're accountable because they've had that. Secondly, in Romans 2, 14 through 15, listen to this. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. So there's the second witness, our law. They have the law of God written on their hearts because all of us have an innate God-given conscience. It may be not as strong as others because it's not as informed by the scriptures, but there is every person a sense of some right and wrong, and that convicts them. And so God says every person's accountable, every adult's accountable because of those two witnesses. That's why we believe in missions. That's why we want to get the gospel to the ends of the earth so that everyone can hear and have an opportunity to believe and be saved. That's the second rabbit that I want to chase. We'll let it go from there. So bring it back to what I'm talking about. I believe that all children and infants go to heaven. Uh, There was a movie some years ago called All Dogs Go to Heaven. I don't know about dogs, but I know about children and infants. I believe all children and infants, baptized, unbaptized, Christian homes, non-Christian, go to heaven. I believe that aborted babies are in heaven miscarried children have a soul a spirit they're in heaven i had somebody come up to me after the first service and say 
We had an abortion in our family. And uh, it's so comforting to, to hear about the possibility of reunion with a child and to know that that's a real person that we're going to see again in heaven. I'll share with you one more passage of scripture about this that I think is an Old Testament illustration that helps confirm this. It's Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39. The setting is the exodus when God was going to give the Israelites the promised land. They left Egypt and they came to the edge of the promised land. And God told them to go in and take it. And only two adults had faith to receive the gift that God wants to give. In the New Testament, he gives us a gift of salvation. You have to receive it by faith. Caleb and Joshua were the only two adults who said, yes, let's go take what God has given. The rest made excuses when we're afraid. And so God said, here I'm reading Deuteronomy 139, and the little ones, that's your children, that you said would be taken captive. One of the excuses, they wouldn't go in the land. Well, they'll take our kids captive if we go in there. Your little ones that you said would be taken captive. Your children who do not yet know good from bad, they will enter the land, I will give it to them, and they will take possession of it. So all of the adults were held accountable for their faith response. And those who did not make a faith response died in the desert. But God did not extend that accountability to the children. The children of all of them, the believing and the unbelieving, he said, who did not know good from bad, I will not hold them accountable for your lack of faith and they will enter the land. And I think that's an Old Testament parallel of the New Testament truth we've seen in Romans that those who've been miscarried, aborted children, infants, young children to whom the commandment has not come, we can be confident that they have a home in heaven. I've talked a lot about the problem. I can't end without talking about the solution. So let me read to you one more passage from Romans. It's Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Yes, you're under the law of sin and death. You're a sinner. You got it from Adam. You're going to die. You got it from Adam. But Jesus Christ has died in your place to take your punishment. And if you'll believe in him and be in Christ, you'll be set free from the law of sin and death. Romans 10, 9 says, if you'll confess with your mouth. Little children can't do that. They're not yet held accountable. But you are, if you're listening to me and understanding this. If you'll confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And if you'll believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I want to pray for parents and grandparents who are raising kids and bringing kids to church. And I thank you so much for them. And I pray that they will see from these scriptures their great responsibility. Help them to be wise. Help them to get their families in church regularly. Help them to teach them in their home. Help them, Lord, to make rules that will bring that child to a point of seeing their need for Christ And Lord, help them to guide children. I pray for older children or teenagers who might be here now who are beginning to become aware of their own sin and guilt and that you would draw them to 
yourself. I pray for adults and senior adults that, Lord, they're accountable to you. And I pray they would hear this today and their hearts would be convicted and that they would turn to you and be saved. Lord, thank you that there's hope for little ones. I pray for families who have had abortions, who have had miscarriages, who have had little children die. Thank you that there is hope for them to see those individuals again, that you'll restore what has been taken. Thank you, God, that you'll make all things new. We rejoice in that hope. In Jesus' name, amen. If today you want to confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, I'd be glad to hear your confession. I'll be at the uh, Welcome Center uh, there, and today you could declare your faith in Jesus. Next month you could be baptized. Meet me there after the service if you'd like to talk about any of this further. If you want to join our church, you can do that there today as well. Thank you for being here today. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Cox. Will you stand with us and let's sing together. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, I believe that you are my fortress. Oh, you are my portion. You are my hiding place. Oh, I believe you are the way, the truth, the
will, as we close here this morning, just have a couple of quick announcements. There's several of them there in your worship guide. Check all those out. Just want to remind you about the things that are taking place today. Uh, we have a deacons meeting for those who are on the active deacons uh, committee. That's at 4 o'clock. Then the uh, family ministry uh, time will be at 5, so please be here for that. And then we have our men's ministry monthly meeting. It takes place today at 6. So men, uh, get ready. Be back here at 6 o'clock. Join the men's ministry. Uh, I believe that takes place in D204. So come and be a part of that. Um, check out again all the other, there's several things in the worship guide that are for the next weeks and months ahead, but you can see those there. I want to remind you that you can worship through giving. Uh, on the back wall, you'll see those two boxes there on the back wall, and you can drop your tithes and offerings as your form of, of worship in that way in those boxes. Let me close this out in prayer, and we'll be dismissed. Lord, we thank you that you are the way, the truth, and our life. Father, and we just thank you that we can put our hope in you and that we have joy and peace in you. Father, we pray that you guide us this week, give us direction, help us to live according to your will and, and, and according to your purpose this week. Father, help us to look out and see the people around us that need you and, and uh, uh, point them to you, God. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. And God, we pray that you help us to live faithful and according to your will this week. It's in your sons and we pray. Amen. It's a new horizon.